Welcome to the 64th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, we will talk about the Major League Baseball standings and about all of the trades in Major League Baseball as we had the trade deadline today. Let's jump right in with a look at Major League Baseball standings, starting with the National League East. Yeah, very abbreviated look at the standings today as we got to move on to more important things that actually relate to all of these teams, of course. Uh, starting with the New York Mets, who are in the lead of the NL East at 54-47. and 47. They are three and a half games ahead of the Philadelphia Phillies, who are in second uh, at 51-51. and 51. The Braves are a half game back of them at 51-52, and 52, which means they're four games back of the Mets. Uh, then you have the Nationals, who, as we know, pretty much broke up their entire roster. Uh, we'll get again. We'll get to this kind of stuff later. But they were they are forty seven and fifty five, seven and a half games back of the division lead. And then you have the Marlins, who are forty four and fifty eight, only actually only ten and a half games back, which is not awful. But they did trade away some big pieces, so don't expect them to be doing too much. Uh, yeah, they don't really have the roster to contend anymore. Uh, and not like they had any intentions of contending at the beginning of the season. The playoff run last year was nice, though. Um, in the NL Central, we have the Milwaukee Brewers in the lead at 61-42, and 42, actually contending for almost the second or third best record in baseball. They're getting up there now. Uh, they made some major moves at the trade deadline, but again, we'll, keep, we'll get to those later. Uh, they are seven games ahead of the Cincinnati Reds, who still think they have a shot at it, evidently, by their trading history. Again, we'll... We'll talk a lot about this, but I will foreshadow a lot about what teams did at the deadline before actually going into it. Uh, then you have, and they are at 54 and 48. Then you have the Cardinals at 51 and 51, nine and a half games back, which is pretty funny because they have the same record as the Phillies who were three and a half games back in their division. So just goes to show you that NL East division is not the strongest. Uh, probably by comparison, the NL Central was probably a division that was supposed to be competitive, but not with really good teams at the top. Uh, the NL East is making a case for the worst division in the league this year, and it definitely is the most underperforming because everybody expected it to be the best division in baseball, maybe with the exclusion of the NL West, although a lot of people thought it was too too, too top-heavy, and look at the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Rockies. Makes sense. Speaking of the Diamondbacks and the Rockies, a team that's almost, it, it feels like they're in the same caliber uh, <laughs> in a bad way that those teams are. The Chicago Cubs are 11 and a half games back, 50 and 54. I believe they now have less than two players remaining from their 2016 World Series roster after the trade deadline, but we will get to that. Uh, I'm pretty sure, and and that's only if you include their manager, ironically enough. Um, Then you have the Pittsburgh Pirates, who are 22 and a half games back at 38 and 64. So again, overall, this division, not looking too competitive, definitely the least interesting race for now, uh, other than the AL Central, but again, we will go to the AL soon, but uh, I don't know any thoughts for you about this division, other than the fact that it's pretty uninteresting for yeah, a division that was supposed I mean, to be really we'll competitive. Get, we'll get more, um, Joey Votto's interesting for the Reds, been on fire. There you go. Absolutely on fire. He's yep. a big Had a stretch where he had seven home runs and 13 at-bats this week. And keeps, seems like he homers in every game. Um I don't know. We'll get to it when we talk to the trade deadline. Some of these teams who think that they're going to catch Milwaukee, that's all they can think because they're not going to get the second the second wild card. It's the same thing. So I don't know what some of these teams um, are, are doing, thinking in terms of... Well, Milwaukee actually has a better record than the Padres at this point. Right. That's what, But these teams are trying to chase the Padres for the second wild card. They're a ways back. We'll get to the philosophy of the trade deadline. So, no. Very interesting uh, watching the Cincinnati Reds because of Joey Votto and watching the Cubs implode. 
All right, so we can move on to the NL West, uh, where the San Francisco Giants are in the lead. Uh, funny enough, there was actually not a single change in how many in the game's difference between the Dodgers and the Giants in the last week, because the Giants dropped two games to the Pirates, while the Dodgers dropped one to Colorado, and then in the series against each other, San Francisco took two out of three. On the season, they are now 8-8 eight and eight against each other, and really the difference that I can see in the rest of the schedule is that the Dodgers are 3-7 and seven against the Padres, and I'm pretty sure the Giants have a positive record against them. If not, it's even or just below 500. So look, there there's a lot that there's a lot that the Dodgers could be doing in their other games. Uh, when you speak about three games back, one thing that comes to mind is losing three out of four to the Marlins after being on a nine-game winning streak. That's one of those... That's one of those things where you think they probably could have won a few more of those games. Uh, and look, that's probably really what the difference is in that 5-15 and 15 stretch at the beginning of the year that the Dodgers had. Or not at the beginning, but after a hot start to the year. Uh, and that's what has them behind the Giants by three games. Although at the same time, they have the third best record in baseball. The only other team they would be trailing is the Boston Red Sox if they were in division with them. So they can't really look too badly on it. And as, as we'll get to later, they made a lot of moves to try to close this gap. Uh, although the Giants tried, uh, although the Giants made uh, a move, pretty much a move, actually. I don't even think they made a second trade, but they went made one pretty big move to try to keep this lead that they have. Then you have the Padres at five and a half back, who the Dodgers spoiled a lot of their plans with the trade that they made, and we will get to that later. Uh, but they are at sixty and forty-five, five and a half games back of the Giants, three and a half back of the or two and a half back of the Dodgers, excuse me. Uh, then you have the Rockies at twenty and a half back, forty-four and fifty-nine. Since this is not, since there wasn't a trade here, I would like to talk about this. The Rockies kept Trevor's story. They did not trade him at the deadline. Uh, John Heyman, who is a who is a commentator on MLB Network and actually was the Rockies GM for I think 15 years, said that when you actually look at the value that they'd be getting back, they'd be getting a prospect. Or or if you let him walk at the end of the season, the way that it works, they'd actually get a compensatory pick for him. And a compensatory pick is basically an end of the first round pick. It's pick 30 to 36. So when you actually look at it, it it, it does make some sense. I mean, a lot of people would probably say, well, now they get nothing in return. But if you look at it down the road, they actually do get something in return. It just might not be as much and it might not be something that they preferred. But uh, what, what everybody heard is that everybody expected the Rockies to lower their asking price for for story and then they just never did and then everybody just said okay well then we don't need him and everybody went their separate ways got their other players and story ends up staying a rocky uh 44 and 59 though 20 and a half games back it's not like he's gonna help them climb back into this divisional race then you have the arizona diamondbacks at 32 and 71 32 and a half games back of the san francisco giants for first place yeah, I mean, with Trevor's story, maybe the maybe the Rockies didn't, you know, they, like you said, didn't get enough of an offer to move the needle, and they think we can still do a post-trade deadline waiver wire deal because you can do trades. After. No, you can't. Oh, that's right, they changed that rule. You used to be able to do the cleared waivers, but now you can't. You can't. You can't do a tender, a non-tender deal anymore. I, I, again, not much movement in this division since last week. Saying that repeating, feel like we're repeating the same thing. Dodgers are treading water until they get healthy. Although um, they get Corey Seager back tonight, so there's health. They, there, there's they, something healthy. They, they can look back at a whole bunch of games that they've blown with players who probably will not even be uh, on the team after after September call-ups, I don't think. So uh, they stay close, um, and then we'll talk about what happened to the trade deadline. But overall, a good week for the Dodgers, I think, in the grand scheme of things, and not yes. a good week for the Padres. Yes. Good week for the Giants, too. Yeah, I think the Dodgers and the Giants came out of the week pretty good compared to... <laughs> 
where the Padres stand after after everything, but we'll get to that later. Uh, let's move on to the American League, right? So Boston, second best record in the league, sixty three and forty one, barely behind the Giants for best record. Well, not necessarily barely, but only behind by one in the win column, three behind in the loss column. They're still only one and a half ahead of the Rays, who have the fourth best record in all of baseball, tied with the Brewers at sixty one and forty two. Uh, the Rays did the Rays at the trade deadline. That's about all I can describe of how they did. Uh, they just really, they just did what they always do. Uh, then you have the Yankees, eight and a half games back, but they somehow, I think, misread the standings and saw 0.5 games back on a misprint because the trades that they made are, are the trades that a contender, like a serious contender would make. And in my honest opinion, I don't think they are a serious contender right now. Uh, although... Oakland has been slipping up a little bit recently, and that has given maybe the Yankees, given the Yankees maybe the belief that they can catch up to them for the second wild card spot. I think that's what they're counting on. And, and back. yeah, and that might be that might be possible. So th- we'll see what has to we'll see what happens with the Yankees. Um, we'll, we'll talk about their deals later. Then you have the Toronto Blue Jays at fifty one and forty eight, nine and a half back. The Blue Jays have a plus ninety seven run differential, only six behind the Rays for the best in this division. And yet they are only three games above 500. Meanwhile, the Yankees are minus six. They play a lot of close games, and they seem to lose a lot of them. Uh, and then that, the run differential is just crazy. They get blown out a lot too. Well, so I was it's, say, they had probably had a positive run differential, but for Garrett Cole's last start. Yesterday. Yeah, that's yeah, that's true. Uh, and they've had, by the way, they have had a few games like that. Uh, even in Cole start, not just Cole starts, other starts too, but some Cole starts too. You can think of a Chapman blown save where he gave up six runs in the top of the ninth. There are a lot of games that you can point to that probably contribute to that run differential, uh, but it's not good and it doesn't imply good things. But you know what? The guys they got at the trade deadline, I, I think they got a lot better. Uh, then you have the Orioles who aren't getting better anytime soon at 26 and a half games back, 35 and 66. They're not worth talking about. So let's just move on to the AL Central instead, where the Chicago White Sox are in the lead at 60 and 43. They made as many trades this week with the Chicago Cubs as they had in the 20 years prior. Just let that sink in. That just lets you know where the the directions that these two franchises are going in. Yes, they made two trades this week with the Cubs compared to two from 1999 to 2020 before that. Oh, in total? I thought you were saying yes, every single year. Yes, in total. In total, wow. In total. Uh, it's crazy. But by the way, Crosstown Rivals, you don't want this, the other city. <laughs> well, not even the other city. The same city, the other fans. The north side versus the south side. You don't want one side having having all the glory and all the bragging rights. And now the White Sox are trying to make it so that that 2016 Cubs run is a distant memory as they try to get a title of their own. Uh, so we'll see what happens with them. They are eight games ahead of the Cleveland Indians, who I wouldn't say were massive sellers, but I wouldn't really say... They, they definitely weren't buyers. None of the trades they made made them better, but none of the trades they made made them... A lot worse. So overall, kind of a pretty balanced approach from them. Uh, Then you have right behind the Indians, you have the Tigers at 11 games back, 50 and 55. Same amount of wins as Cleveland, actually, but six back in the loss column. They were on a they're on a three game winning streak currently. Then you have the Royals at 45 and 56, 14 games back. They were sellers at the deadline. And then the Twins at 43 and 60, bottom of the division. Uh, in the seller of the division, last place, 17 games back. They were major sellers at the deadline, although they didn't actually move one of their biggest pieces, but we'll get to that later. Uh, let's move on to the AL West, where you have the Houston Astros in first, 
at 63 and 40, another one of the best records in baseball. Five and a half games ahead of Oakland because look, the Astros keep going. If you look at their last 10, you check it on any day. I feel like it's always seven and three, six or four or eight and two. And if it's not that, then they're on a 10 game winning streak or better. Like that, that's just how their season has gone. They've been very, very good uh, pretty much all year. And that's the reason why they're leading this division. The A's are only five and five in their last 10. And that's just not enough to keep pace with the Astros right now. Then you have the Mariners at 55 and 48, eight games back. The Angels at 51 and 51, 11 and a half games back. And the Rangers, 36 and 66, 26 and a half games back. The biggest sellers of the league. Uh, and then you have the Mariners, who I kind of glossed over it, but they really weren't buyers or sellers. They kind of did some peculiar things. But again, we will get to that in our discussion of the trade deadline. Yeah, uh, the essential race is over. It's done. Nobody's going to compete with the White Sox. Just a matter of them being able to uh, avoid injuries, stay stay healthy uh, throughout the rest of the season, get their bullpen set at the end of September. I mean, this race is over in the Central for the White Sox. Um, and then on the West, it's, the Astros look like they're finally starting to put some distance between themselves and the A's, and the question will be whether the A's can hang on for that second wildcard spot um, against either the Mar- versus the Mariners or more likely the third or fourth third and fourth place teams in the East. So I think that uh, wraps up our look at the standings for this week. Uh, let's talk about Major League Baseball trade deadline and go back to July 26th and go through every single trade that happened before 4 p.m. Eastern time on today, uh, which was the trade deadline. So, yes, we had 41 trades total. Uh, actually, just this week in the trade deadline, there were also some other trades earlier. We talked about the Nelson Cruz trade. Uh, the, the Braves made two moves a long time ago with Jock Peterson and Stephen Vogt. So... There were more than 41 trades, but look, this was the best trade deadline there's ever been, definitely in my lifetime, and from what I've heard from other from every other source that there is, the best ever, so I'll go with it. Um, I'll definitely go with it, and I've seen some really dull trade deadlines where there's a lot of speculation and then no no real moves. This was the opposite. There were, there were so many different speculations that people had, and pretty much every trade that was thought of to be possible was made. Uh... Ten All-Stars, which is a record, uh, from this year alone were traded before the deadline, not to mention some guys who have been All-Stars plenty of times in the past, but just didn't make it this season. So let's go back all the way to July 26th, where there were only two trades, uh, and start there. Adam Frazier went to San Diego. We talked about this on the last podcast for three minor league players. We didn't know what they got back yet, but it ended up being three minor leaguers, uh, including Chusapita Marcano, who was a pretty high-ranked prospect for... San Diego for a while. Uh, the Yankees acquired Clay Holmes, a reliever, for two minor leaguers. That's a good bullpen upgrade for them. Uh, that's what they were looking to add. They were looking to add some bullpen depth at, at the deadline and then also a lot of other pieces, but probably the bullpen being the main thing that they need. So that's pretty important. Then let's move on to July 27th. There were three trades. The first one of the day, probably the most intriguing, I would say. Closing pitcher Kendall Graveman of the Seattle Mariners who has a .82 ERA on the season, and Rafael Montero, who has a 7.27 ERA, so a little bit more uh, a little bit more disposable, to be quite honest, were traded to Houston. This would be okay, although they're your divisional rivals. You're looking like you might make the playoffs for the first time in a long time. And also, the very night before, the Mariners won a game when they were behind after hitting a grand slam in the eighth inning, and then you deflate the whole clubhouse by trading away 
your closer with a .82 ERA to the team who you're playing that same day. And what do you get back? You get Abraham Toro, who's a 24-year-old third baseman who's hitting 219 on the year, and that's generous because he's been hot since he's joined the Mariners, and Joe Smith, who has a 7.15 ERA on the season. This might have been the worst trade of the deadline, and I think uh, the rest of the trades that we saw in the rest of the week really showed that, really made it worse, uh, the standing of this trade, because this one was just not good at all on so many different levels. But let's move on to the next trade of the of the day. There were actually two more pretty pretty good trades. Uh, another another trade by Seattle, but this time a good one. The A's staying in the AL West acquired Andrew Chafin from the Chicago Cubs, who has a 2.03 ERA out of the bullpen for two minor leaguers. That is a very good trade. That is a really good piece that you can add to your bullpen. A high leverage guy that you can immediately slot in. I think he actually already pitched for them, uh, but. So, yeah, that's a great move by the A's, and that looks, by the way, they're trying to fend off the Yankees to keep that wild card spot. That's a good move to keep them there. Then the Mariners acquired t- starting pitcher Tyler Anderson, who has a 4.35 ERA in the year for two minor leaguers. And again, this one is a good trade, but I feel like off the back of trading your closer, it's a bad trade just because of what your team was probably thinking. There were a lot of reports that the locker room did not like that trade. So, uh, overall, not so great for Seattle on that day. And, by the way, they to foreshadow it a little bit, they did not make many moves in the days to come after that. Uh, July 28th, before we get to the really, really crazy days with the really big names and crazy, crazy, crazy trades, there were four trades made on July 28th, but there was one huge one today. Uh, there, there were two of them, I'll say. On the 28th. The, yes, on the 28th. Yeah, I shouldn't have said today. On this day. <laughs> On that day. Anyway, pronouns are stupid. Um, The Yankees acquired Joey Gallo, who has 25 home runs on the year. This was the first All-Star that was traded, other than Adam Frazier, from the Rangers for four minor league players. This was the deal that made me think that this deadline was going to be crazy, and the reason why is because this is the type of deal that you would see on the trade deadline day in other years, and it happened three days before the deadline was. As soon as I saw this, I was thinking, which one of the NLS teams gets Scherzer? Do the, do the Nationals trade someone else in that deal? Is Schwarber gone? Is Trey Turner gone? Are they giving up Daniel Hudson? Are they going to give up their guys like Josh Harrison and Jan Gomes, who are maybe lower pieces and not as desirable, but at the same time, still pretty good everyday players that another team could use, and pretty good players for a team in contention, too? By the way, the answer, the reason why I said all those names, they traded away every single person that I just named, and they traded away their closer, Brad Hand, who they signed away. They being the Nationals. Yeah, the Nationals, who I who I who they signed in the in the offseason. They traded away Brad Hand, their closer. So they made a lot of moves. Uh, but th- moving on from the Yankees, moving on from the Yankees, which I don't know how I got to the Nationals from the Yankees, but um, you were saying Joey Gallo moved. That was the first of many stars. Right, 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 and got on the, the stars, got, right. Started talking about the stars. But right, the Rangers was, don't have any other stars. You're really, excited but. about some, some Nationals trades because they helped the Dodgers. We'll get to them. All right, all right, all right. You didn't have to do that. I mean, that was a little too much <laughs> foreshadowing. To, to, to the um, but yeah, the A's acquired Starling Marte, another great trade by the A's. By the way, the AL West was really, really active at the deadline, uh, who has a 305 batting average on the season from the Marlins. For starting pitcher Jesus Lazardo, who has a 6.87 ERA in the season, but was once a very, very highly regarded pitching prospect, actually a top three prospect in all the league. But look, that's a really good trade for the A's. Even though they give up Lazardo, who had a lot of more team control, 
they can find some free agent starting pitching that works for them. I mean, they found Chris Bassett this year, and he ended up making it to the All-Star game. So look, the A's know what they're doing in terms of finding good pitchers. So I don't think they're going to have an issue doing that in the future. So you might as well continue uh, to 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 trade away prospects to get really, really good players for now to make sure that you're going to make the playoffs this year. And Sterling Marte, I think, is a good start for that. After that trade... The Reds acquired Luis Sessa and Justin Wilson, who has a 7.11 ERA, Luis Sessa with a 2.75 ERA, from the Yankees for a player to be named later. Very, very interesting, um, but I think what, what a lot of people suspected from this deal is that it meant that the Yankees were going to do more, and this was just clearing up some roster spots, and again, they had already acquired one relief, relief pitcher. And you assume that they were going to pick up another later. Uh, we'll see if they did that or not. But that was that was the assumption. That's what everybody thought they were going to do. So you, you think that's a deal that just clears up space, right? And uh, that's, I guess, what it did. Then the Brewers made a pretty big splash, actually. They need a lot of hitting. They need no pitching. Well, anybody can use extra pitching. You can never have a surplus of pitching. But if there's any team that does, it would be the Brewers. So getting Eduardo Escobar from the Arizona Diamondbacks, was a huge pickup. He can play a lot of different positions. He's very versatile in the infield. 245 batting average, 22 home runs, 65 RBIs, and he was another all-star this year for two minor leaguers, so not really that big of a price to pay. Uh, But that was all for the trades from July 28th. On July 29th, the day started out with the Red Sox acquiring Kyle Schwarber. See, there's a guy from the Nationals here. Now we can talk about the Nationals. Sorry about that rant earlier. Um, who, who was hitting 253 on the year, 25 home runs. He is on the IL right now, which is actually a common theme with Nationals players. Um, but he was an all-star, too. We know he went on that huge run. This doesn't quite solve the Red Sox problem, though, which is really a first baseman that they needed, and... Spoiler alert, they didn't end up solving that problem anywhere. You wonder if they move the all-flexible Kike Hernandez to first base, and that's the idea that they maybe have, but uh, I don't know. I mean, again, you get Kyle Schrober, that's a huge deal, but at the same time, this didn't really address uh, a weakness for them, and he also can't DH because they have J.D. Martinez locked up in that position, unless you want to put J.D. in the outfield, but I think Schrober's defense is better than him, so that wouldn't really make much sense. Maybe some... Some pop off the bench late in the game. Yeah, I mean, I I think you have to start him, though. There's no reason to make this trade if you're not going to start him. But they get him for a minor league pitcher. Then the Padres acquired Daniel Hudson. Oh, look, another guy from the Nationals. Um, With a 2.2 ERA on the year from the Nationals. Four or two minor leaguers. And now we get to the big, big trades. At least two of them. The Dodgers acquired All-Stars, and for Max Scherzer... Eight-time All-Star, three-time Cy Young Award winner Max Scherzer with a 2.76 ERA this year, and Trey Turner, who's hitting 322. He was also an All-Star from the Nationals for number one and number two prospects within LA system, uh, and number 41 and 42 overall prospects in all of baseball. Kiebert Ruiz and Josiah Gray, and then two other minor league prospects. That was a huge deal, and this was really where the trade deadline started to go crazy because not only was, did the Dodgers get Max Scherzer, but they also denied him from the Padres, which was actually reported, it was actually reported, I believe, five hours before the Do- the first rumor about the Dodgers finalizing this deal, that they were going to get him and that they were closing in on that deal. 
And then it was reported that the Dodgers were moving closer to a deal with the Nationals. Then all of a sudden, the Padres still get a deal with the Nationals, just not the one they wanted to. After, after the Dodgers took Scherzer. Yes, this was after like the, the Dodgers took Scherzer. for the Padres. Exactly. I think they were probably talking to them about all three of the guys, though, and maybe even thinking about doing it in one trade package. Didn't end up doing it. But they that's how it ended up. The Padres really did not did not end up doing very well at the trade deadline, to be quite honest. But let's move on from the Padres and the Dodgers and go back to the team that I said was making some moves. The Yankees acquired Anthony Rizzo with a 248 batting average this year. Also, not an all-star this year, but multi, multi-time all-star in the past. From the Cubs for two minor leaguers. Again, the Cubs really selling everybody. Another big move for the Yankees. And look, they have literally... I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a team that has more lefties in their line that has less lefties in their lineup, I should say, than the Yankees. Now they have two really, really, really good ones. So this got this really solved a huge problem for them. This and Gallo, the two. Lefties. Yes, this and Gallo really solved a huge problem for them. They get an outfielder. Uh, they were even talking about getting Trevor Story, and moving him to the outfield. So look, it's possible that uh, <laughs> if that's what they were thinking of, they definitely thought that outfielder might be a need for them. So pretty important for them. Uh, they get Joey Gallo to play probably right field, although that's Aaron Judge's natural position, so maybe he moves to center. I don't know which one of them will move. One of them will move. They're both Gold Glove level, uh, Gold Glove caliber outfielders, so really you could probably put either of them anywhere. And then Gallo's bat, and then uh, Rizzo's bat at first base also solves a problem for them because now they no longer have to play LeMahieu at first base if Void is injured and. Honestly, a lot of people thought they were going to end up moving Voight after this deal. They didn't, but we'll see what happens with that. Uh, in st- so, for the Yankees, huge deal. Let's go back to the team that really started the deadline frenzy. The Mariners acquired closer Diego Castillo with a 2.72 ERA and 14 saves from the Rays for JT Chargois, who has a 3.00 ERA on the season and a minor leaguer. However, Diego Castillo is not Kendall Graveman. This is a replacement, but it is not an equal replacement. And I think that overall, when you look at the balance of the three trades for the Mariners, they did not get much better, if they got better. And if they did get better, it was very, very tiny level of improvement where you say Castillo is a tiny downgrade and they get a tiny upgrade for a fifth starter in uh, in Anderson that we talked about earlier. So look, I don't think there's much there. Uh, I don't think this was a good deadline for the Mariners. They didn't sell people, and they also didn't get anybody. So overall, probably not the best from the Mariners. But let's move on back to the Dodgers, who acquired Danny Duffy, who actually, surprisingly enough, has a better ERA than Max Scherzer on the season with a 2.51, a big pillar of the Kansas City Royals franchise for a very long time. But he, uh, he goes to the Dodgers now for a player to be named later. So we'll see who that player is. Probably, again, not going to be a big name. That's not normally what player to be named the Lakers are. But uh, then the White Sox, for in the first move with the Cubs that they made this week, acquired Ryan Tepera, who's a 2.91 ERA on the season from the Cubs for a minor leaguer. The White Sox acquired, the White Sox again, acquired Cesar Hernandez, who has 18 home runs from Cleveland for a minor leaguer. And by the way, a lot of people were complaining that he's he's hitting 230, he has 18 home runs. Okay, he's not a power hitter, he's not an average hitter. What is he? If you actually look at where he ranks on Chicago, if you immediately slot his stats in, he's second on the team in home runs and tied or tied for the lead in home runs on the team and second in, in RBIs behind Jose Abreu only. So he does actually slot in pretty well. And by the way, 
They needed a second baseman because their starting second baseman at the beginning of the season, Nick Madrigal, is out for the season, although there is more news on Nick Madrigal later in this in this little segment. Then you have Toronto acquiring Brad Hand, who I talked about earlier with this whole Washington thing. They acquire him, 21 saves on the year, for a minor leaguer, another guy gone from Washington. Yeah, so you mentioned the White Sox unusually trading uh, with the Cubs. The other thing the White Sox did here is they unusually traded within their division. Yep. Um, although Cleveland, as, as we've talked about, was basically, we think, out of it. But still strange to do that. Um, and then, of course, your take on the Mariners. Even if the trade if the trade was equal when you take all those trades in the wash um, or marginally better, I think there may be some extra years of player control, of team control over a player, which is a big deal here in the bullpen. At the end of the day, the impact it's having on your team, which you mentioned, the locker room. It really it, just, it's it, just it, deflating. It's, it's, That's it's the problem just, with it. It's, it's not, is it really worth it? Do that deal at the end of the year, but uh, and I the other thing that and the and by the way the other thing sorry to interrupt you but I have to say it the other thing is they see who they're in contention with and who they're fighting with they see the A's go out and get Starling Marte they see the A's go out and get some other guys that we're going to talk about later so I won't spoil that yet uh, they also see the A's get Andrew Chafin and then they go and deal away their best reliever the A's get a new best reliever and an outfielder they get a probably fourth or fifth starter and then change closers and get a downgraded closer when that's the team that you're trying to catch in your division too and then you also see the Yankees who are in the battle with you to catch the A's getting Joey Gallo and Anthony Rizzo you, you there's no way that the people in the clubhouse are saying that's great for them and by the way I think the fans are going to be a lot more interested with their new expansion NHL franchise with college football starting again and also with the Seahawks starting again at this point because this was not these were not very good moves. Yeah, this is a team that's kind of they 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 they're standing still. They're not buyer they're not net buyers net buyers sell, net sellers and they risk angering players in the process. I think we've we beat this one to death. Uh, just the just not a good look for the Mariners. Just don't do anything. Yep. Um, you, unless you're going to make a big splash. So that's all I've got to say on this day's trades. Yeah, so that's it for July 29th. Let's move on to what normally is pretty much the only day that huge deals get done, but we had some other ones earlier, but here it is. July 30th, deadline day itself, 25 total trades. The fi- Let's start real quick. I'm, g- I'm going to run through some of these without really going over them, but because uh, some of them aren't that important. The Phillies acquired Freddie Galvis, a shortstop from Baltimore, He's hitting 249 on the year for a minor leaguer. He actually was on the Phillies last year, I believe, so uh, kind of a reacquisition. Uh, they're having some struggles so at shortstop and really defensively, so he'll help them out with that more. The 249 average doesn't really concern me. The Pirates acquired Michael Chavis, who's hitting 190 for Boston, for, uh, for a relief pitcher, Austin Davis. This is pretty interesting because I think this is just Boston clearing up space after getting Schwarber. Uh, but again, he's hitting 190 on the year. Just he the probably Pirates doesn't need a lo- another lousy hitter in their lineup. This well, I mean, the Pirates get the Pirates get a guy. You know, the Pirates get a player. So I mean, okay. who cares? They get a player for a minor league, or they'll take it. Uh, and by the way, they need to fill a hole at second base after they traded away Adam Adam Frazier. So, uh, and by the way, he's a little older and he has some playoff experience, so he can maybe teach the guys who haven't won more than like 50 games. Something about being in the playoffs, although they were never going to make it anyway. Um, maybe retires, maybe. <laughs> yeah, probably true. Um, so let's move on to Toronto, who acquired Joaquin Soria from Arizona. He was their closer. He had a 4.30 ERA on the year for two players to be named later. Uh, very interesting. Normally you only see that being one player, but I guess uh, Arizona gets two players to choose from. Then you have 
Four deals from Atlanta. Atlanta acquires Richard Rod- Richard Rodriguez from from the Pirates for two minor league pitchers. He has a 14 saves on the year, 2.82 ERA. Then they decide that they need to get an entirely new outfield after already trading for Jock Peterson because if Ronald Acuna is hurt, you need to replace him with four guys. Do because they realize they all can't play at once? I, I, don't, I don't know, actually. It's a good question. Do they also realize that Jorge Soler can't play DH in the NL? I, I don't know. They have a lot of problems. But anyway, so <laughs> Atlanta acquires outfielder Jorge Soler, who at one point was a 50-home run hitter, but now... 192 batting average, 13 home runs from Kansas City. By the way, mainly as a DH, so I don't know how well his defense still plays, but we'll have to see. He obviously has to play defense in the outfield for the Braves. Maybe as a pinch hitter a lot. But again, they already had Jock Peterson, so it's interesting. I mean, he's a righty instead of Jock being a lefty. They acquire Adam Duvall from Miami. 22 home runs, 68 RBIs. That's a huge addition for a minor leaguer, but at the same time, they had him last year and could have re-signed him. They just didn't re-sign him. So while it is... (laughs) What is a big deal at the same time that could have had him last year? But again, let's let's keep going with the rest of their redesigned outfield. They now get also Eddie Rosario, who's current on the IL, uh, with a 254 average from Cleveland for Pablo Sandoval, which now means, by the way, talking about dugout morale, there's a problem for you. You can't have a dude in a panda suit hugging people after home runs anymore. He's gone. Well, maybe that's why they uh, they got uh, Soler, so that he can wear the panda suit. Uh, I mean, that... I mean, it's probably possible, but I don't think Jorge Soler would like that too much. It's not part of his nickname. Uh, but I don't I don't actually know if he even has a nickname. But yeah, so Atlanta so, so Atlanta just retools their entire outfield. Uh, and it's interesting. I think all these guys are rentals, though. I don't think any of these guys have any control after the season. So this is probably a, okay, you're here while Acuna's gone. We'll figure out where you go. Maybe we make the playoffs. We'll figure out which one of you is the best hitter at the moment. We'll play Duvall every day and then figure out who's still playing well, and then whoever isn't playing well, well, you just go on the bench. Uh, that's probably... Looks like a platoon approach, right? Some of these guys are probably better left side, right side. You mix and match. You can't exactly, lose, and also just, who, and also just whoever player. is hot at the moment is probably what they're going to do. But let's move on. Toronto acquires Jose Barrios with a 3.48 ERA from Minnesota. For shortstop Austin Martin and pitcher Simon Woods-Richardson, they are both top 70 prospects. Actually, Austin Martin was the fifth overall draft pick last year out of Vanderbilt. So that's a pretty big, uh, that's pretty big, that's pretty, those are two pretty big prospects that Minnesota gets. They can probably relaunch or rebuild really fast that they can also get an extension on Buxton. Uh, Maybe, but I don't even know if they're going to do that. We'll see. That might be a reason why they didn't end up trading him. Uh, But yeah, Barrios also has an extra year of club control though. So that's why you see Toronto paying that elevated price for him because they can use him next year to make another run. Uh, then you have St. Louis acquiring J.A. Happ from Minnesota with a 6.77 ERA for John Gant, who has a 3.42 ERA out of the bullpen and a minor leaguer. This one, I don't really understand. They also acquired John Lester, who has a 5.02 ERA from Washington for a minor leaguer. Uh, St. Louis thinks that they can turn back the clock on everything. They think that they're getting 30-year-old Adam Wainwright, 30-year-old Yadier Molina, 30-year-old John Lester, and 30-year-old J.A. Happ. And unfortunately, all the guys are 35 or older at this point, and that's just not going to happen. I don't know what the Cardinals are doing. They also can't contend, so this is kind of stupid. I'm not going to lie. They might be the only team outside of the Mariners that made some pretty perplexing moves, but I guess... I guess they I guess they feel that they have a need at the back end of their rotation to have a fifth starter, and they're just going to take their guesses on, on which one is better out of the two of these guys from what they see. Uh, and I guess that, I guess that's the plan. I don't really have 
the rationale. I wish I did, but I, I really don't know what this is all about. Well, maybe they want to lead the league in something, and that'll be team starting pitching ERA. Well, that yeah, that, not, mean, that wouldn't be very good. Leading it in a bad way. Yeah, that wouldn't be very good. But uh, Boston acquires Hansel Robles from Minnesota, who has a 4.91 ERA for a minor leaguer. So, again, Boston made some very, I, I wouldn't say lateral moves, but uh, uh, kind of like the Mariners' overall trade-off at the deadline. It's like, you got a little bit better, but was that really worth it? Uh, Schwarber was a again. Schwarber was a big pickup, but at the same time, doesn't really fill a team a team need. So it's very interesting. And they also, even by the way, excluding the outfield that they were supposed to have going into the season, they also have Jaron Duran, who they called up and who hit a inside the park home run, and he is just killing it with his speed. He, I think, he had his first career hit on as a home run. So he's doing a lot, or his first career hit on the first pitch. So look, they have a lot of outfield depth. I will just say the Red Sox are really gearing up to be a contender, and every single move, I think, is just shoring up some some very tiny holes that they feel that they have and that they feel they need to close to make sure that they're actually a, str- a true title contender. Uh, then you have a really, really big trade, actually two really big trades, but the first one is that San Francisco acquired third baseman slash outfielder, really, you can play him in a lot of places, Chris Bryant. From the Cubs, he's hitting 267 on the year with 16 with 18 home runs and 51 RBIs. For two minor leaguers, interestingly enough, there was a report that they might be trading Joey Bart for him, their top overall prospect, and then they did not end up doing that. Luckily for them, they instead traded their number nine and number thirty prospects. But look, it's still I would say the Giants are still really happy because they get to actually make a deal instead of just sitting there idly by and probably making their fans really really mad as the Dodgers went out and got. Max Scherzer and Trey Turner now have a surplus of shortstops, and they're like, well, we are not getting anybody, because look, this was their first deal of the entire deadline. So uh, this was an interesting one. It was a really, really good move for the Giants, and it might allow them to, to maintain that lead over the Dodgers that they have. But let's move on to what the Phillies are doing, because for some reason they think that they're in contention. The Phillies acquired Kyle Gibson with a 2.87 ERA. By the way, he was an all-star uh, for the American League. From the Rangers, also Ian Kennedy, who's a relief pitcher with a 2.51 ERA. He has 16 saves on the season and a minor leaguer and cash from Texas for three minor leaguers. Very, very good trade for the Phillies. Uh, I think that their front office is just tired of being two games under 500, three games under 500 going into the deadline and then not buying and also not selling. I feel like they just know that at some point they're just going to have to go after it because you didn't sign Bryce Harper to miss the playoffs by five games every single year. You got to do something. So they finally did something. They step up. They get Gibson. That makes their rotation actually really good. And if they end up in the playoffs, that would make a pretty... I mean, look, that would make a pretty good rotation, the three that they got at the top of their rotation. They also have... Now they get Ian Kennedy to solve some uh, some of the closer problems that they have. Uh, so they get a lot of help at the back end of the bullpen and in the middle of the starting rotation. The Mets then made a huge trade, getting Javier Baez from the Cubs, who's hitting 248 on the year with 22 home runs and 65 RBIs, also 13 stolen bases, which are pretty important. And they also got relief pitcher Trevor Williams, who has a 5.06 ERA from Chicago for Pete Crow Armstrong, there, who was formerly their number five overall prospect, now slots in as the Cubs' number six overall prospect. So I, this one's intriguing because... You almost think that that just shows you how much how much team control uh, or club control over a player really does because I guess the Cubs' plan is to rush uh, Pete Crow Armstrong into the lineup next year where his MLB ETA was 2022. So maybe 
September call-ups this year and then into spring training next year and bring him up. And the idea is you get him for six years as opposed to Javi Baez for a half of a season. I guess it makes a lot of sense. So, But at the same time, it's very rare to see two players, two major league players, traded for one prospect. It's very, very rare if you look at the trends of these other deals. But the Mets make a really good move to counter what the Braves and the Phillies are, well, trying to do. I don't know if they're doing much, but they're trying to do something. Uh, then let's move on to o- to, uh, to Oakland. They acquired uh, infielder Josh Harrison, who's hitting 294 in the year, and catcher Jan Gomes with a 271 batting average from Washington for three minor leaguers. That seals the deal on Washington's entire roster that's leaving at the end of this year being traded, and Trey Turner, who was leaving at the end of next year. So look, Washington really deconstructed every single thing that they have except for Juan Soto. Soto. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that's what Washington did. They have some other prospects that they're keeping. I mean, they still have uh, Gerardo Parra, so they still have the Baby Shark dance, but I don't think anybody wanted that anyway. Uh, But yeah, Oakland, Oakland again making another move to try to make sure that they can get into the wildcard game. Then you have the Chicago White Sox making another crosstown move, but this one a huge, huge, huge move. They acquire Craig Kimbrell was a .49 ERA, 23 saves on the year from the Cubs for Nick Madrigal, who was out for the season but was formerly their starting second baseman. And by the way, they have Cesar Hernandez now, so they don't really need him. And Cody Hewer, who was, I think, their top prospect at some point, who has a 5-1-2 ERA in the big leagues this season. The White Sox just got the best bullpen in baseball. I'm entirely convinced after this. They have the best pitching staff overall in baseball. This team is a real, real threat. The Red Sox may have the best lineup in baseball. The Dodgers could probably argue that. But the White Sox clearly have the best bullpen. And Lance Lynn and Carlos Rodon at the start. Giolito's Giolito's questionable. He's very, very good. He has a lot of talent, but he could be pretty he could be pretty inconsistent at times. But Lynn and Rodon at the top, and then having Kimbrell in the bullpen. You also have Tepera in the bullpen. Look, this is a really, really good team that they built. They also have Liam Hendricks in the bullpen. Those three, seven, eight, nine, you get Lyndon Rondon to get you through six innings, which they do pretty much every game. The game is over. I mean, I could see them shutting out a whole team for an entire series. It's possible. The White Sox basically laid down the gauntlet. We've got the division. We're making a run for the World Series. Oh, yeah. I mean, and there's no reason for them not to. And also, you see, I mean, when you have what they have, there might be even a reason for... Tapera, maybe Hernandez, maybe Kimbrell to re-sign next year because, look, if Kimbrell enjoyed Chicago, why doesn't he enjoy Chicago uh, on the south side this time? And by the way, with the really, really good team that even if they don't win it next year, all they're going to do is get healthier and get all their young players better. And by the way, most of their players are very young. All they can do, Chicago only has one way from here, and it's up. So these are really, really good trades. Let's go to Milwaukee now, who acquired Daniel Norris with a 5.89 ERA from Detroit for a minor leaguer. This was the only deal Detroit made of the entire deadline, which is pretty interesting. But at the same time, we kind of said it. All their good pieces are young. They're like a 50 and 55 uh, fringe 500 team. But at the same time, the contributors are at nearing the end of his career, Miguel Cabrera, Jonathan Scope, who still has another year. So maybe they trade him next year if things don't go too well. And then a bunch of young guys. They're not trading any of those guys for anything. And they're not trying to contend so they have no reason to. Uh, now let's move on to the Yankees, who made a deal for Andrew Heaney. He has a 5.27 ERA, so this is a, a bit of a questionable one, but again, he's a starter. Maybe he replaces someone if if someone's injured. You never know when Severino's going to come back, or maybe he just pitches out of the bullpen, mainly in the playoffs. 
uh, and then some cash for two minor leaguers. San Diego acquires Jake Marisnik, who has a two point or, or a two twenty seven batting average from the Cubs for a minor leaguer. San Francisco acquires Tony Watson, who has a four point six four ERA from L A for th- from the Angels for three minor leaguers. Milwaukee acquired John Curtis. Here's the really, but here's the only only worthwhile deal dis- discussing that really kind of came in almost after the deadline was already up. But yes. Milwaukee gets John Curtis with a 2.48 ERA. He was a big player for the Rays last season uh, out of their bullpen on their World Series run for a minor league catcher. Houston acquires Phil Maton from Cleveland, who has a 4.57 ERA and a minor leaguer. For Miles Straw, though, which is interesting, he's hitting 262 on the year. He's their starting center fielder. You wonder what their long-term plan is in, in the outfield. It's very, very interesting. Uh, you'd assume, I mean, maybe your Don Alvarez moves out of DH into left field. I, I guess that's a possibility. Uh, you might have Kyle Tucker stop DHing a lot more and start playing in the field more. They have some questions there. We'll see what they do with it. Um, but I think the Astros are still in a pretty good place. And by the way, they got their, they got a lot of improvements to their bullpen, which was really the only slight weakness of this team. Then you have Tampa Bay being Tampa Bay, acquiring Jordan Luplo. Uh, a 173 batting average and a minor leaguer from Cleveland for some more minor leaguers. Really a minor trade, but at the same time, Tampa Bay is going to Tampa Bay, right? This is just what they do. Uh, Philly and Pittsburgh swapped two minor league players. And then Tampa Bay also required, uh, not required, acquired, relief pitcher Sean Armstrong from Baltimore for some straight cash money. And that was the last trade that we had out of the 41 trades made at probably the most exciting deadline of all time. Don't expect this again next year, but it was fun while it lasted. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see how these players do in their new environments and how these teams do in the wake of making these trades. Uh, a lot of these guys actually on the IL, like Eddie Rosario's on the IL. Um, you get Trey Turner, who's on the COVID IL. Scherzer had some injury issues. So there's a lot of guys that maybe don't even appear immediately. You never know when Chris Bryant actually gets to San Francisco. There's a lot of things that could happen here, but... Uh, this, again, really, really interesting trade deadline. We'll see where every team goes from here. Yeah. I mean, you think about the fire sales that were the Chicago Cubs and, and the, the Nationals. Washington Nationals, yeah. um, teams who had been, you know, postseason perennial players winning World Series. And you wonder, how did they play so, when they traded so many big elements, how did they play so crappy this year? Well, I think the one thing that you also have to look at is you have to look at the teams who are better than them with so much less payroll, and you have to look at what they're thinking, and they're going to see... The Tigers have a better than a better record than us. The Mariners do. They're playing with prospects. We can't. You can't sustain this little this little battle with nostalgia. You have to fight it off at some point and realize that the roster isn't competing for a title, and you're not anywhere near as young as the teams who are already better than you. And you're not competing with the Dodgers or the Giants or the Astros or the A's anytime soon. So I think that's the approach that you had to have from them. And also, these guys are all gone at the end of the year. Most of the How do you re-sign any of them right. and convince them that, oh, by the way, we won a World Series five years ago. Why don't you come back? We'll win it again in 10 years. Yeah, that's the key to it. Most of the guys are going to be gone after the year. So these teams are around 500 trying to play for the future. Um, and then, as we said before, the big winners um, are the Dodgers based on who they got and who they denied getting those players. Right. Um, the Giants pull a rabbit out of a hat. At the end of the deadline, after almost being completely shut out... The Yankees are probably the biggest winners because they need those players to make the playoffs, to be quite honest, in yeah, my opinion. They, they and then the that. biggest losers, I'd say, it's Houston. 
or not Houston, sorry, Seattle. Seattle. Yeah, wrong, wrong, same division, wrong team. Very exciting. It's going to be hard to keep track of who's on what team. Hard enough as, as it is. Good thing most major league teams have names on the backs of their jerseys. And I'm really interested to see what numbers these guys pick because you never a lot of these numbers are taken. So we'll see what happens. Trey Turner's number is taken by Corey Seager, and I bet Corey Seager's not giving that up. So <laughs> we'll, we'll have to see what happens with the numbers. It's going to be pretty interesting. All right, well, that wraps up our look at the crazy, busy, uh, record-setting MLB trade deadline. It also wraps up this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. So please join us for our next podcast, which will be on Monday, August 2nd, where we will recap the NBA draft and two major trades so far in the NBA. Sorry, Russell Westbrook. See the accuracy of Patrick's weekend predictions and discuss what appears to be possible, actually very likely, conference realignment in the NCAA, uh, in terms of football, that is. And and I guess it applies to other sports, uh, but really the impact on football. In the meantime, be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his MLB power rankings. Uh, are you going to redo them with all the trades or are you going to wait a week? No, I'm going to redo them tomorrow, and then they'll probably change a lot next week. Uh, and that's all on the website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.